Welcome to the Diversity in Action podcast, presented by the BLX Internship Program. Join us as our hosts, Luis Rosa and Sean Tidlaska, interview guests from across the financial planning field to highlight the real change that's happening in our industry. If you are tired of just talking about diversity and want to learn what others are doing to make the demographics of our profession more closely match the population of this country, this podcast is for you. Welcome to another episode of Diversity in Action Podcast. I am Louis Rosa with my co-host, Sean Tidlaska. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a huge advocate of our industry. Sean's going to go into her bio, a brief bio, obviously, because otherwise we'll probably take up the entire episode because of all the accomplishments that she's done. So, Sean, take it away. Yeah, I am thrilled to announce to our audience Suzanne Syracuse. She's the founder and CEO of Suzanne Syracuse Consulting which specializes in advising financial services firms on their business strategy, including diversity, financial literacy, and next-gen talent. She's also the creator and host of the Big Reveal podcast and the Focused on the Future podcast. Uh, she's the former CEO and publisher of Investment News, which where she worked for over 20 years. Hopefully, I'm not dating you um, too much. <laughs> and uh, it goes without saying that she's an industry thought leader, and we are honored to have you on our podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, thank you so much for having me. I am incredibly excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, just to kind of kick things off and get our audience to learn a little bit more about you. Could you just tell us a little bit about your career path, how you got started, and how you got to where you are today? I will give you the Cliff Notes version. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I do think understanding where people come from and why they ended up in this industry is always interesting, right? So I actually started out in my hometown of Philadelphia, Go Eagles. This is going to be released in the fall. Hopefully the NFL season will have started. And I started out in ad sales at the Philadelphia Business Journal. And originally I thought I was going to write commercials for a living. That's actually what I wanted to do in college and graduated in 1987 where jobs were few and far between and realized that I could still get to work in media and at magazines and newspapers, but I Um, went the sales route. And it ended up being such an amazing work environment and experience that that is what defined why I stayed there. My first boss was a woman, the head of sales was a woman, and the publisher was a woman, which was very unusual back in 1987. Really just loved the people I worked with, loved the environment. It was very collaborative, very creative, fun. And I really loved talking with clients and learning how essentially our product could help them gain more business and increase awareness of their company. So that creative problem solving started, I think, right at the beginning of my career. That's really when somebody asks me, what's my elevator speech of what I do? It's like creative problem solving. But those female leaders really helped me see that it was something that I could attain by actually running the business and not just being a cog in the wheel, what have you, you know, something like that. So I was there for eight years, again, had a great experience, loved it. There was nothing wrong with my job, loved where I lived, all my friends were there, my family, but I was looking for something a little bit more. I was just about to turn, you know, 30 and decided to move to New York City and ended up getting a job at Pensions and Investments which is the institutional side of the business, right? The institutional side of money management. 
It was a pretty dry job, I will say. It's very, very different than the financial advisor space. <laughs> and uh, the publisher, Bill Bison, who was a fabulous mentor to me, after a year was like, look, we're going to start this new publication called Investment News. And again, there was no internet. There wasn't really internet back then. This is in 1998, before websites were a thing. And it was all print. He's like, would you like to be part of the launch team? In which I said, absolutely. And that was my start at Investment News in 1998 and started in sales, was the sales manager, associate publisher, and then became the publisher and ran that for 13 years. And it was really interesting as I was reflecting back not that long ago on my experience is that it was a great time to be in media because it was this transformational time period where digital was starting to became everything, really. We went from a print business model to digital and print, and then we added events and research and custom content production and video, podcasts, all of those things. Then we really started focusing in on how do we not just report on the news, but actually create news and elevate topics that we felt were really, really important to the industry's growth. And that's where you have these, what I like to call game-changing initiatives, 40 Under 40, Women to Watch, Diversity and Inclusion, Icons and Innovators, Best Places to Work, everything that we felt was about advancing the industry in some way and using our platform to really get the word out. And as I mentioned, I was there for a very long time. The family that owned Investment News, the Cranes, decided to sell Investment News for a variety of reasons. And I helped with that process, which was really out of my comfort zone. I learned so much during that time period and stayed for a year until the transition was complete. And that's when I went into consulting and probably the best thing I ever did. <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. That's amazing. Yeah, because you can't go to school for what you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> And, you know, just for everyone listening, I was in college in 1997. So I remember when you said 1998, nobody had a cell phone. You know, we have pagers and <laughs> <laughs> there was no Internet. I still had to go to the library and like just look at actual books that I had to check out. It was crazy. It was crazy. And I remember car <laughs> phones. Or if you look back at like the movie Wall Street and you see like the phone was the size of a brick. Yes, I lived through those days. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, no texting or anything. It was a different time, for sure. So I remember it vividly. Thank you for the trip down memory lane. Yes, absolutely. So for your consulting business today, tell us what things that you do with that and who would be like an ideal client and what, what are you up to today? Sure. So my entire consulting business is about all of the things I learned during my 22 career at Investment News and talking to advisors, thousands of advisors over that time period thousands of industry leaders, seeing what kind of content resonated with them. How did advisors want to receive information? What events do they really like? Just understanding the evolution of the financial advisory business and a financial advisor's business model. And all of that is seeing, quite frankly, too, what PR firms were doing really well and what some that they weren't doing very well, what reporters were expecting what really resonated with them. So again, taking all of that information and experience that I got at Investment News and now transferring it over to me providing that consulting advice to firms. So 
using that knowledge, experience, expertise to help firms better understand and communicate with financial advisors and the firms that support them. And specifically, you mentioned this three areas, innovative business strategies, distinctive marketing programs, and impactful advocacy initiatives. And since I'm completely focused within the wealth management industry, I do not go into any other industries. I do not go direct to consumer. It really allows me to provide my clients with a really deep expertise within the market and then access to my established longstanding relationships with advisors and industry executives. I work primarily with I mean, I work with all different types of companies and every consulting gig is different, but I work with wealth tech firms, large RIAs, asset managers, broker dealers, custodians, the media. I'm working with one of my former team members, Mark Bruno at wealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about that. But anyone essentially that wants to do business with financial advisors, I can help. And if I can't, if it's not something that fits into my wheelhouse or I don't think I'm the best person to do the job, I have a huge referral network that I refer business out all the time. So that's a little bit about what I'm doing now. And I absolutely love it. Oh, very cool. So it sounds like you help industry service providers communicate to advisors who would use their products and services. So you help them kind of articulate what their value propositions are. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I kind of gave you all of the business side and then there's an overlay on top of a lot of that, which touches on these advocacy initiatives, whether it's diversity and inclusion strategies, whether it's next gen talent development, financial literacy initiatives. So a lot of that foundational strategy work, I also incorporate advocacy initiatives, what I define as advocacy initiatives into that as well. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Suzanne, I had a question. You had a very long career at Investment News, so you got to see a lot of trends within the industry. And I wanted to ask you your thoughts. Like when you look at the most recent numbers from the CFP board, women in particular, about 23% of CFP certificates in the country. I was just wondering, because I don't know the history of it. I assume it was even lower before they, they keep making progress. In that regard, like, how was it, like, say, 20 years ago? Like, is it even a smaller number? Like, how have you seen that grow over the years, if at all? <laughs> yeah, it's grown not a lot. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And I think that there are some great initiatives out there that are that are addressing this now. I think some of the events that unfolded a few years ago are advancing the discussions of really kind of not just talking about this at the water cooler, but this has become a business imperative for many firms. But back in the day, I would say we didn't think about it. Like meaning not that I didn't think about, hey, I'm one of the only women in the room. And, you know, I would go in with my salesperson or my sales director. And many times clients would direct the conversation at the men that I was with thinking that they were the boss versus me being the boss. But honestly, it was like you almost just this was just the way it was. And I know that sounds weird today, but it just that's the way that nobody talked about this. Mm -hmm. Like nobody talked about it. And in fact, at Investment News, we started me being a woman and my editor, Fred Gabriel, is gay, gay man. And for us, we were two underrepresented groups in an industry that we reported on all the time. And I'll never forget. And I've shared the story before, so Fred won't get upset. But I remember he was being considered for the job of editor. And I said, you know, my only hesitation, Fred, is 
you're going to have to talk to a lot of people and be very social. And sometimes I feel like you're very in the background and you kind of protect who you are and don't go out and really get to know people. And that's a part of this job, quite frankly. He shared with me because he was gay that a lot of times he would go out, you know, business dinners, events, stuff, and people would make the assumption that he, he has four children, that how are you and your wife? Where do you and your wife live? You know, those types of things. And it made him very uncomfortable. And that was why he almost did not get the job because I made an assumption that he was too introverted for the role, yet the reason he was reacting the way that he was was because he was uncomfortable because it was not something that he felt safe disclosing. And I think that was a really, really important turning point for both of us to say, gosh, if this is happening in our organization, it's probably happening in a lot of organizations. What can we do as a industry leader that reaches hundreds of thousands of people in the industry that can really start to address some of these areas of concern? And that's when we got together and started the diversity and inclusion official initiative. Prior to that, we had done a story and we put it on the front page. I'll never forget this. And it was about the various initiatives, uh, the various areas that financial advisors needed to specialize in when they were advising gay couples, because there were different laws at the time and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Different considerations. We did this story and I was like, this is great. This is so interesting. We were really proud of it. And we got cancellations of our subscribers canceling, hate mail, all that kind of stuff. We solved a lot of that over the years, which also made us know that we were hitting a nerve and that, you know, if, if you're in media and you're a true journalist, that means that you're doing something right. So that really, again, was through adversity or through a negative type of channel, it actually spurred us to do more in that area. Cancel culture was alive and well back then too, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I answered your question. I just, there were less and less women. That was actually the impetus that started why I started the Women Advisor Summit back in 2013. And it was partially, we were at a TD Ameritrade conference at the time, I'll never forget. And a couple of women executives came up to me and they said, look at this room. I said, I know. We're the few people here that aren't standing behind a booth. Quite frankly, we were either speaking or the people running our businesses. There weren't that many. I'm still very, very close with many of those women to this day. And they're like, what could we do to change this? And that's when I started thinking about the Women Advisor Summits and creating a community where women could come together. And not that the content was, quite frankly, going to be any different. It was more that they could be in a room full of individuals that looked like them. So I would say you saw this movement. It definitely started with women as an underrepresented group, started there, and now it's going into so many other areas of underrepresented groups. But I would say those types of gatherings helped the movement of getting more women being seen, not just as para planners or admins, but more in the advisor space and in the investment management, portfolio management, you know, CEO space. Yeah, no, that's powerful. 
you know, I love the word that you use, catalyst, because I think that without those initiatives, it would be very hard for other people to feel comfortable enough to reach out and be like, hey, you know, I, I do want to continue to stay in this industry because it's already hard enough for them to get in. Looking further at the statistics, when you look at other groups, which is why we started the BLX internship program, the most recent numbers from the CFP board, people that identify as Black or African-American are 1.9% of all CFP professionals. And Hispanic or Latino were 2.9%, you know, so <laughs> there's still that feeling when you're in the room, like, whoa, you, you look around, you know, it happens to me all the time. Yeah. I'm like, wow, where's the other, you know, it's still the case where people, there are so many underrepresented groups and there's so much importance because that's where the country's headed. Our country doesn't look like our industry, you know? So that's one of the reasons, yeah. And that's got to, to your point, that's got to change. It really is such an important piece to the growth of our industry. So forget it's just the right way to be thinking, but if you're looking at it just from a business standpoint, you've got to have representation of the clients you serve in your firms. You mentioned the statistics. So one of the initiatives that you know very well that I work with as a client is the externship that was the only online training program for a career in financial planning. And it was created by a fabulous financial planner, Hannah Moore, in 2020 during COVID when in-person internships were not available. She actually created this program to act as an internship, but virtual. And one of the things that we were looking at are the demographics of the individuals that are participating in this program. The majority of them are students in CFP programs, schools that have CFP programs, or career changers, or newer advisors to the profession. There were 800 that signed up for this year's program, which started like June 6, 2023. Of those 800, 40 some percent were women, 11% identified as Black or African American, I think 9% is Hispanic, Latino, 10% Asian. So what we're seeing with this group that is now considering a career in financial planning, they're going through this training program, is a much higher, albeit still very low, but a much higher representation of these underrepresented groups than are currently reflected in the numbers that the CFP is reporting, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, we love the externship. It really gives someone visibility to what it would be like to be a financial planner. You can see actual client meetings and get access to the financial planning software and get e-money certified. So for our intern candidates that aren't able to get placed with an internship, we provide scholarships for the externship so they can still get that experience and build their candidacy for, for their next job opportunity or next year, maybe they can participate as an intern. That's wonderful. Well, that's exactly what's needed. Tell me a little bit more about what diversity means to you and why it's important to you and kind of what's your why for getting involved in initiatives like this? Sure. And I'll also share a few initiatives that I'm involved in. So what does diversity mean to you? That's a big question, right? So I'm going to try and be succinct. And I think it's actually a really important question that everybody should ask themselves and to think about it. In my opinion, again, learning about and hearing from others who come from different backgrounds, different cultures, hearing about their perspectives and their experiences, I believe, makes us all better humans. 
and allows us to be more empathetic, understanding, make smarter decisions, both personally and professionally, and really opens our minds and hearts up in a way that allows us to be more complete individuals. So I'd say that's kind of the foundation for what I think about curiosity and a genuine desire to better understand someone's background and philosophy is not only important to that person that you're getting to know, but it ultimately benefits you, the person who's asking the questions. And as a result, I think you gain a much greater understanding of why one may feel a certain way. So both personally and as leaders in an organization, you know, this skill really becomes critical in making underrepresented groups feel safe and seen and heard. And I believe, again, this is one of the most important roles of a leader. I'll give you an example of something that I did back in the day at Investment News. And this was probably, it was right before, maybe a year before I left. So let's say, let's call it 2018. And we had disparate groups. You know, you had reporters and salespeople, which are completely the opposite. <laughs> that what they do is completely opposite of each other. Research group, and you had the events group and the audience development group. So there are all these disparate groups. They all stayed in their own area. Let's put it that way. And the way that our office was constructed, they were in their own groups as well. So there was even the way that we were set up was not as collaborative as it should be, actually. And then I was thinking about everything that we were reporting on about the importance of next-gen talent and getting more and more next-gen insights into your business model and product development and all of that. And I'm like, well, we need to practice what we preach. So I tapped this young woman to see if she'd be interested in forming or overseeing a next-gen committee. And everybody had to be under a certain age. And basically, it was their agenda. I'm like, once a month, We'll bring in lunch for you guys. You go in the conference room and you talk about how the culture here at Investment News could be better, what you'd be looking for, what are some things that bother you that maybe I wouldn't have even thought about, what are some ideas that you have that maybe we could start doing. It was so enlightening to me. There were simple things that I would have not even thought of, like, oh, they were offended that we were using like plastic water bottles when our guests came. So they're like, could we get a water machine and with branded investment news, you know, water bottles that, so it's more environmentally friendly. And I'm just thinking to myself, my gosh, of course we can. Like, I didn't even think about that. And it wasn't that I don't care about the environment. I just had other things that I was thinking about and just their ideas, their fresh take on things. It also accomplished them networking together and becoming collaborative and, and very team oriented. We instituted so many things that came out of that next gen meeting. Again, like I would not have even thought of some of the stuff that came to my attention as a result of something like that. So I give that as an example of just leaders making sure that you don't think you have all the answers and that everyone that comes from a different perspective could really be additive to your overall business. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a business case for it too. You know, some people don't like it when you mention the business case, but you know, at the end of the day too, there are businesses being ran, right? And they need to be profitable. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm not mad at it. If somebody comes at it from the business angle, I wanted to go back to some of the initiatives that you worked, even like Investment News 40 Under 40. I feel like even that initiative was indirectly a DEI initiative because 
when you look at the stats again, CFP board, I'm going to focus on again, there are more CFPs over the age of 50, if you combine them all, 50, 60, 70, and so on, that are under the age of 30. When you give the opportunity for people like NextGen and the 40 under 40 to have that platform, you do kind of feel validated, you know, because a lot of the times you don't feel motivated to even stay in the industry as a person of minority background. And say receiving an award like that makes you feel like, wow, I do belong here. And people do care. People are watching. And when you look at the wide range of people like Jamie Hopkins, Tyrone Ross Jr. that have come through and just all the amazing things and the impact that they've had and continue to have in the industry, just being highlighted for that is just amazing. You know, so I just want to thank you oh, so for glad. all that work you've done. <laughs> I'm so glad. And it's funny from a lot of those initiatives, 40 Under 40 and Women to Watch in particular, 40 Under 40 was actually our first one that we started. The investment news just celebrated the 10-year anniversary of it. It's pretty unbelievable that it wasn't done. Like nobody thought of that prior to 2013, including us at Investment. Why did it take so long to get that going? But anyway, the roster of alumni that have come out of the 40 under 40s, including yourself, is just mind-boggling. And that really was, I think, our first underrepresented group or diversity initiative without it being intentionally thought of that way. It was really, really like making sure that we were delving into the next gen talent and highlighting those individuals that were doing some great things, but maybe because they didn't have 30 or 40 years under in their experience, they weren't the ones being quoted or being featured on panels and all of that. And so it was a great way to do that. We really took that model and did the same thing for women on Women to Watch and then for icons and innovators. That was a little bit different. But and then, of course, for the diversity and inclusion, CNBC scene role models. So that's a formula that is very intentional and it is absolutely something that has been proven to be effective. If you can highlight, celebrate, tell the stories of some of the individuals that come from underrepresented groups, it absolutely acts as inspiration and they act as role models for others from those groups. So yeah, those are definitely, I would say, the things that I'm the most proud of having led when I was there at Investment News. They also gave me access to some of, I think, some of the most talented people in our business right now. I guess it was maybe a year or two before I left Investment News, I got a call from John Carter, who's the CEO of Nationwide Financial, president of Nationwide Financial. I'd known him for 20 plus years. Great, great guy. And he said, hey, Suzanne, we have a new person that is just such a rock star. She's a superstar. Her name's Christy Rodriguez, and she's going to be overseeing the Nationwide Retirement Institute. She doesn't know a lot of people in the industry yet. And I know you're doing your Women to Watch, wondering if you could do a phone call with her just get to know her and help her network a little bit. What John did was exactly what a male ally does. He made a phone call to somebody that was in a position of influence that could help someone that was looking to be in a position of influence get there. That is a perfect example of what one person can do to help elevate another. So I end up getting a call with her and we became fast friends. Long story short, she is now not only the head of the Nationwide Retirement Institute, but she also spearheaded one initiative that I work on called the Financial Alliance for Racial Equity. 
which is essentially a consortium of six or seven financial service firms, five or six HBCUs, industry organizations that all have a common goal of creating awareness about a career in financial services to Black students, and then also investing in them once they are in this industry. So I helped them with their strategy. It just became a a nonprofit. It has got its own website now. We did a career fair. I mean, it's unbelievable some of the things that are happening because of the Financial Alliance for Racial Equity and really these firms saying, let's come together, let's pull our resources, and let's really make a very specific initiative that is going to focus on increasing the awareness of a career in financial services to Black students at HBCUs that we work with. And that's been an amazing program, and they continue to grow. So that's one initiative that I'm working on. We referenced the externship, which is another one, fabulous. Also working with the Women in Wealth Management Awards, Carson, Mariner Wealth Advisors, Financial Independence Group, and Fidelity are the founding sponsors of this new women-focused conference called Sell Represent. And the first one happened last November. I've been to 50 million events. This was one of the best events I've ever been to for a variety of reasons. But the community of women and the level of engagement and speakers and authenticity was off the charts. What we also did there was an awards program, similar but different categories to the Women to Watch, really with the same objective of highlighting and celebrating women that are doing really fantastic things in our industry and bringing that to light. So that's, in fact, the awards program launched in June and the actual event where the winners will be announced is in November. Working with, as I alluded to earlier, my former associate publisher and dear friend, Mark Bruno, who's now running wealthmanagement.com, doing a great job. And he, because he saw firsthand all the work that we did at Investment News and the actual genuineness of all of the team had in producing those events, we weren't just doing it to like, to do it. Like we actually cared. We had something vested in it. We were passionate about it. He's like, hey, listen, we need to do more here at wealthmanagement.com. Could you create think tanks where people can come together and share their ideas around what's working in their firms? Could you host a podcast where that theme is included in all of the episodes? So that's what I'm doing with them. It's called, as you alluded to, Focused on the Future. I'm a board member of an organization called Savvy Ladies, which is a nonprofit that has two major components. It has a 24-hour helpline for women in crisis. There's CFPs, CPAs, and attorneys that give free advice for women that are in really pretty terrible situations that feel they can't leave those situations because they do not have financial ability to leave those situations. And then the other component is financial education for women to become financially independent and knowledgeable in order to make better choices for themselves. So those are some of the things that I'm involved in. Wow, that's incredible. I think you're having so much impact in in so many different ways, you know, from individuals to people in the industry and then just helping shape like some corporate policies around how intentional some companies want to be, whether it's hiring or the culture. You know, you mentioned investing when you were talking about the Fair Alliance. I think it's so important. That's one of the things that we're focusing on at the BLX Internship Program is beyond just, okay, you got an industry during the summer. We want to provide that support year round. 
we've had as part of the podcast series, we have an intern success stories section and we bring back some of the interns that have gone through the program and they get to share their stories, how they just landed their first job and just how well they've been doing. It's just amazing to hear those stories. I love that. And just to know, yeah, it, it's just so impactful, you know. You need to tell that story. I'll help you get in some of the media, help feature. Because I tell you, a lot of the media in our industry are looking for stories like that. They actually want to showcase success stories like that. I think it's incredibly important. So I'm happy to help in any way to really showcase some of those stories and get them out to the media. I know I, I work with the editors. They are looking for those stories. Thank you. No, we really appreciate your help. You know, you provided a lot of advice here as well. I've heard you on another podcast before that Her Success Matters. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, I got this quote that says, your definition of success tends to change through your career journey. And you mentioned moving from Philly to New York and how you felt something was missing, but you didn't quite know what it was. So what advice would you have for somebody, like you mentioned career changes, for example, which are a big component of our program that are new to this industry in terms of just risk-taking, the importance of risk-taking and going for it? Well, thank you for referencing that. I think taking calculated risk is critical to growth. And you don't want to have risky behavior, but you want to really assess, like I always say, a gut check and making sure that you're not closed off to opportunities because of fear, fear of failure, fear of whatever it would be. I think just my advice, I say this a lot. I need to think about why this word keeps coming up whenever I'm talking to people. Be curious about others, about their business models, ask questions, listen, be a fly on the wall. And curiosity about other professions if you're looking to come into the financial services profession. But for those that are career changers that just got here, again, I just think that being curious and listening to those that are doing something innovative, that are pushing boundaries a little bit, just because it doesn't exist that way now, doesn't mean that it shouldn't. Following your gut, following your passion, if you are trying to figure out what your niche is in terms of your client segment, go with things that actually speak to you. I just interviewed Mark Tabersian, who was one of my mentors, and I learned a lot from this industry. And we've talked a lot about how do you differentiate yourself as an advisor in this industry. And I think it is making sure that you are passionate about the people that you are helping? And do you have something very much in common with the people that you are helping? So that I think that client segmentation strategy and niche is a really, really important one. Yeah, I love that tip about being curious. Some of our most successful interns are really coming prepared. We have a speaker series where we interview leaders in the profession. And some of our interns are asking really, really thoughtful questions, doing their homework. The profession is such a giving profession. And if you're trying to get into it, it's great to just do like coffee chats with people. They're so open to telling you about their experience, how they got started and how to help help you learn more about how you can get started in the profession. Agreed. I think there's a lot of sharing and a lot of collaboration. And one of the other statistics from the externship I'd love to call out is kind of what back to what you just said. The question is posed to these 800 externs 
of why are you interested in becoming a financial planner? Now, the number one reason is helping people. Number two, I believe, is path to entrepreneurship. And those reasons, I would venture to guess, are very, very different than why somebody came into this business 30 or 40 years ago. It was probably not helping people. It was not that they didn't want to help people, but I don't know that that was the primary motivator. I think it was a lucrative career opportunity that had a powerful Wall Street kind of way about it. So that evolution of the people that are coming into the business now and the reason that they're coming into the business now really is, I think, going to affect the way that the financial planning industry moves forward in in a lot of different areas. Yeah, that number one reason helping people, I think peeling that back a little bit more, I think it's not just people in general. I think it's people like them and people from their communities and their families and friends. And there's so much power in financial literacy. And that's part of one of my whys for getting involved is to help others get started so that they can serve their communities and help everyone, you know, all, all boats rise together and bring everyone along. And I know that there's a lot to be done in our profession. There's a lot of systemic issues. But one question I like to ask, just try to visualize maybe three years out, how would you define success for our profession in making some strides, making some improvements in regards to some of these DEI efforts? So I would say like something to think about. One person can make a difference. You know, for firm leaders, many of which are white men, you're not excluded from this conversation. Want you to be part of the solution. And I would challenge them to think about how they can use their influence to inspire a more inclusive culture and as well as ensuring pay equity at their firm. I think just realizing that others look to leaders for guidance and advice and look to be an ally, act as a voice for those who don't have a seat at the table yet. Again, going back to being curious, like, for example, how do you pronounce someone's name? We were on a panel together, Lisa and I, with Camila Elliott and Kaylin Mayhew a couple of years ago. Camila recanted the story of how someone at her firm, prior firm, was mispronouncing her name. And then she finally was able to correct that person. But just even if you're unsure, just ask, right? Be curious. How do I pronounce that? Louis or Luis, right? Just clarifying. Mm-hmm. I know I, it drives me nuts when people call me Susan. So <laughs> that's a different, you know, but just, I know it sounds small, but it means a lot to those individuals who want to make sure that they're being heard and seen. What holidays do team members celebrate that your firm perhaps doesn't recognize? You know, I would say that's another thing to be thinking about. I'm giving some practical suggestions right now. And don't go in and be defensive. Instead, just be curious. And I would just start to think about what other ideas, just like my next gen story that I shared, can make your firm more inclusive. Ask for input and then act on that input. And then no one expects perfection. We all will make mistakes. And it's all about the intentionality of what you're there to do and what your intention was. In terms of the next few years, what will signal success? Obviously, metrics that show an increase of diverse talent, but also in the retention of that talent. So there's a lot of times we may get underrepresented groups in, 
and we don't do enough to invest in them and sustain them and set them up for success. I think also I'd love to see where DEI doesn't need its own separate session or column or podcast. It's automatically part of a firm's business strategy, their talent strategy, product development strategy. And then I would say, of course, compensation figures continue to become more transparent as to showcase bias and really highlight equity. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Suzanne. We really appreciate you taking the time and also for just for everything you've done and continue to do in our industry, helping it move forward. Like you said, it's no more water cooler talk. It's like you're doing stuff that's really diversity in action. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. For folks that want to know more about Suzanne, you can visit SuzanneSyracuse.com and you'll see everything that she's up to there now, the podcast, all the events and social media, et cetera. Anything else you'd like to let us know before we basically wrap up? I usually ask people about just in general, like what is a, either a money memory or personal finance tip or book that has had an impact on you that you'd like to share? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you guys for the work that you're doing creating this program. This is in addition to your day jobs. So make sure that you give yourself some credit for really coloring outside the lines and doing something that is action-oriented. So that would be number one. Number two, to answer your question, is I got a great tip when I was in my mid-20s from my friend's husband who said, hey, do you have a financial advisor? And I'm like, financial advisor, what's that? And he said, oh, we just got one. And they basically help you make more money with your money. I said, oh, I like (laughs) that. And I hired my first financial advisor when I was, I think, 27 years old. So my best tip was get a financial advisor and get that person in place at an early age. Nice, love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for kind words as well for what we're doing. <laughs> it is sometimes it takes a toll, right? You're like running your own business and trying to do all these things at the same time. It's hard. But you know, when you hear those stories, those success stories, the impact that you're having here, just interns reaching out and just sending us an email, thanking us for the opportunity, and just how much it has changed their life. Truly, you know, we're like the real reason why we do it. So thank you again for everything. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at blxintership.org and stay tuned for some great lineup of just some other amazing guests just like Suzanne. So thank you and see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Diversity in Action podcast. To learn more about the BLX internship program and sign up for our newsletter, please visit our website at blxinternship.org.